Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk here on Biz News Radio. I'm Felicity Duncan and with me on the line is Alec Hug. The biggest uh, news from a personal standpoint that we had this week at Biz News, Alec, was issuing an unreserved apology, uh, which is not something that we've had to do very frequently in the past, but uh, which became necessary. And I think, you know, we, we put the apology up on the site and um, it was uh, we included the complaint there and it was fairly, fairly brief coverage that we gave it. And I think people would be interested to know a little bit more about the context, what happened and why we issued the apology. Yeah, it's in fact, in six years of publishing Biz News, this is the, uh, if you like, the most groveling apology we've ever done. Uh, and and it is a uh, it, it's a reflection of the uh, of of the culture of the business of the philosophy of our business. When we're wrong, we promptly admit it. And in this case, we were really horribly, horribly wrong. What happened was uh, an article was submitted by Ed Herbst. Somehow, it got through the processes, the editing processes. It was published as is. It wasn't double checked. We didn't fact check it. And the facts, in fact, were wrong. Now, it is a a, a, um, a very competent, experienced uh, contributor. He's given fantastic um, service to the com- community over many years. So I guess nobody's perfect. And Ed uh, was quick to admit when it was pointed out to him that he had uh, he, he hadn't followed his own usual high standards. And we made the uh, unreserved apology. But what really bothered me was that the Minister of Transfer, uh, Transport, um, Fikile Mbalula, didn't send a note to us or to me to say, hang on, you guys have got it wrong. Because had he done so, we would have immediately addressed it. But it went through the press council, so almost in a very... A uh, formal manner. I hope it didn't cost taxpayers too much money as far as lawyers, etc. are concerned, because really the way we operate at business is that we really try to get things right. Uh, we fact check. We are very careful about what we do publish. But occasionally, because we're not perfect, something will happen where our processes won't be 100%. It will happen where we haven't published the full story, we then immediately give the other other side, if you like, the party that's been injured, the right of reply. Uh, we publish in full what the right of reply has said. We don't edit it. We put it in as they've sent it to us. And then we move on from that philosophy, uh, knowing that when we're wrong, we admit it promptly. We can't, we're not perfect. We try our best, but we do not have the monopoly on truth. In fact, nobody does. And that's the way we approach things. So in future, if we happen to write something or publish something which is not true or which which has somehow slipped through our processes, then please let us know directly. All you have to do is just drop us an email, either to me, Alec at Biz News, or support at Biz News, and we'll fix it because that's the kind of uh, operation that we have. We don't. We're not trying to defend the indefensible, and we never will. We're not trying to twist any facts uh, and make it look like when we were wrong, we actually weren't really wrong. That's not the way we, we operate. We try to be as honest and as truthful as possible so that you can trust uh, what is published on Biz News and know that if we do get it wrong, we will admit it very quickly and 
publish the the uh, an apology as we've done now. So this this was a uh, an extreme example. It was, uh, a, a, I believe, a black swan event. Um, Ed Herbst uh, is a extremely competent contributor. He's given us <laughs> amazing stories over the years. This is one that he didn't get right, and we apologise for that to the Minister of Transport and to our community for uh, for giving the wrong information here. Have you um, have you spoken with the minister, or has he just uh, only communicated through these more formal channels? You know, Felicity, we're we're not close to politicians, which I guess is a good thing, uh, because being a business-focused website, we are interested in the political economy, of course, because that impacts the the, the business sector. But we aren't. Uh, it, it's un- probably most chief executives in South Africa. I would like to believe if something like this happened, uh, chief executive of a listed company would pick up the phone and and call me or drop me an email and and say you got it wrong. Politicians are a different camp. Uh, they're not people that we engage with often. We see them from time to time, uh, but I've never met uh, um, Mr. Mbalula. I've never engaged with him at all. So I suppose he probably had the perception that whatever he told us would be treated in a, uh, a manner that perhaps he's been treated elsewhere. That's just not the way we play things. So, no, I haven't met him. I haven't spoken with him. But I do know that he was quite satisfied with the response because he tweeted afterwards fake news. <laughs> and he's right. It was fake news. There it is. So this time around, the fake news is accurate. So, <laughs> yes. Well, I'm like, glad to hear that that has, uh, matter has been resolved and been dealt with in, in such a manner. Now, you had a busy week. You were out and about meeting with members of the business community and talking through some big changes that you're making to our global portfolio. And, uh, of course, there's some, some stuff about that up on the site if people are interested. But I'd like to hear how it was to uh, present these changes, a little bit about your thinking perhaps on the changes and, and the response that you may have uh, received from members of the community. Yeah, it's the roadshow which we do every uh, six months or so. The last time we did this roadshow was in January, and it is to be in person with members of the business community and our sponsors, Standard Bank Online Share Trading, so that you, you can engage and uh, you know, shake hands, see people. It's always better to be uh, meeting in person when you have that uh, opportunity. And this time around, we've made some very significant changes to the portfolio, primarily bringing money back to South Africa and investing in a couple of South African or JSE-listed opportunities. Uh, Also, uh, this gave us the opportunity to trim the global portfolio, and now it's full-on exponential companies, excepting for Berkshire Hathaway, and you can't sell Warren Buffett's company. It's just too difficult for me to do that uh, because it's just a great business as well. But all the other stocks in the portfolio, including the new edition Netflix, are exponential companies. So it's almost like the stocks you cannot buy in South Africa or find very difficult to buy in South Africa outside of NASPERS, uh, we now have that in our global portfolio. And then in the South African uh, slice of the portfolio, and we brought about a third of the cash in what was a global portfolio in the past, now it's just called the business portfolio, but a third of that has come back into South Africa and that is, again, one-third has been put into NASPERS because that's our only exponential stock that we have on the JSC. 
Um, the second third has been put into the top 40 index, the Stanlib uh, ETF, which has a, a, a very good tracking of the JSE's top 40 companies, and it is a very cheap index, uh, 28 basis points, in other words, around a quarter of a percent a year in costs. And then the other third of that cash has been kept in cash. So we're looking for other exchange-traded funds that we'll be putting the money into. So it was an opportunity to go around and and uh, and meet with people. I'm uh, in Durban on Monday night for the last leg of the roadshow, and there were a lot of very interesting questions. You know, why did you do that? Why Netflix? Um, what was the uh, – why do you feel that when everybody else is so negative about South Africa that it's the time to be investing and so forth? So it was a, an opportunity to to share the views on that. And to look at a portfolio that has done unbelievably well in the last five years that it's been established, it's generated 34% per annum return, which is unrealistically high. It's, it's every year I look at it and think, well, this can't keep going. But I guess if you get lucky and you miss uh, the, the, the uh, landmines, which we've been very fortunate in doing. We've missed, uh, we had a few stocks in the portfolio that at the first smell of scandal we sold out of, and that's been very much to our favor. So if you can miss landline, uh, uh, the landmines and you can remain invested when others around you might be panicking, as happened in September last year when there was a big sell-off on the uh, U.S. market, in particular in the exponential stocks, then you can enjoy these kind of uh, ups, uh, our, our performance uh, that we've had on the portfolio. So it's it's been a lot of fun, Felicity, and I'm looking forward to my trip to Germany. Were people um, positive about the changes to the portfolio by and large, or did you encounter some of the pessimism that we sometimes find? I always uh, seem to find a more optimistic group uh, than in society generally. There are those who are skeptical. I was tackled by a, a, a very cynical um, person in Johannesburg, and there's not a lot you can do in those circumstances. They have a particular point of view, and there's nothing that you can say that is going to alter that point of view, neither, neither should you. Uh, it, my, my role is to perhaps just get people to think about their investments. This is a model portfolio. This isn't a portfolio you can put your money into. We used to have that with easy equities. And as we uh, explained in some detail when we uh, terminated that relationship a few months ago, it was just getting too big. People were seeing 20, 30% return in the exponential portfolio with easy equities and they expected it to go on indefinitely. So they started pouring a lot of money into it. And there was really millions and millions of rands that had been put into the business portfolios of easy equities. And I'm not a money manager. I'm a journalist. I'm a media entrepreneur, if you like. Uh, And it was just getting to the point where if we were going to do justice to this, you'd have to become a full-time money manager. And that wasn't the purpose of the exercise. So we've gone back to, to one where here's a model portfolio, like it or not, that's what we've got. Uh, every month we'll get back to you and we'll tell you what's happened, what the progress has been. And it was interesting, up until this restructuring, in the last five years, we've only made seven sales in this portfolio. And that, I think, is part of the reason for the excellent performance because you you do what Warren Buffett tells you. You uh, put all of your eggs 
in a basket, but you watch that basket carefully and you do a lot of homework before adding the egg. And the, the latest egg that we added there was Netflix, uh, which I've been watching literally for years, but could never come around to purchasing it at $350 a share. However, it's now $260 a share. So the valuation, the value is there as well. Everything else is, is aligned. And as a long-term bet, a company we expect never to sell because Buffett's other bit of advice is uh, your typical average holding period of a stock is forever. Um, we've got it in the portfolio. So very happy to have that one in too. It's an interesting time really for those types of exponential com- uh, companies. And I saw you shared the um, the podcast about uh, Masayoshi Son, who is, of course, the founder of the Vision Fund, which famously invested in some of the really exponential stocks in particular. I'm thinking here about some uh, counters in China like Alibaba and so on. Um, and he did really well out of it. And uh, the Vision Fund has also, of course, backed some companies that have been somewhat more controversial. So here I'm thinking of WeWork and Uber, both of which were uh, classified as uh, unicorns, which is private companies with a valuation in excess of one billion U.S. dollars and were seen to be these exponential growth stocks, the types of stocks that have done so, so well since the financial crisis. But when... Um, I'll say uh, to to use uh, Alex phrase when the tacky hits the tar and those uh, companies hit the public markets or tried to hit the public markets in the case of WeWork, it was a complete failure because investors were really focused on the fact that they were not profitable, that they were uh, not uh, in industries where they had a clear competitive advantage um, and so on. So, you know, there's been a bit of a rotation out of these exponential stocks, which is, of course, why you know Netflix is trading at such a much more uh, attractive price. Um, and so it's an interesting time to be uh, considering global markets and to be thinking about these exponential stocks and to be looking to the future and saying, you know, uh, will we see the same type of outsized returns? Um, doesn't seem necessarily very likely. Seems like people are looking once again at value stocks in the classic Buffett fashion. But of course, uh, you know, the markets are highly unpredictable and that could easily change. Yeah, with exponential stocks or the whole idea of exponentiality, one needs to to kind of get your head around what the profit model is going to be. Now, with WeWork, that has been termed or they're trying to position themselves as an exponential stock, but actually it isn't. All it is is a company that is buying up lots of space at long-term rentals and trying to offload that at a more expensive price in the short term. There's no tech that goes with it. There's no, uh, there's no scalability that goes with it. Every time you, you buy a new building, you take on new liabilities. And as a consequence of that, the risk remains high. So it's, I'm not surprised at all that the market has, has rejected this, on top of which the uh, founder is a bit of a flaky guy who went out and took $700 million off the table uh, a couple of months before the proposed IPO, which just also gives you an indication of the way his head is going. So WeWork doesn't surprise me at all. Uber, on the other hand, is an exponential stock because you can leverage the software into more and more international destinations. And the business model or the profit model that exists in Uber 
is also quite significant. So there's a you could make a different argument for Uber. What Mr. Son has done, and this has been a, a, a big difference to uh, most other investors into new age companies, if you like, or, or exponential companies, is that he has, when he's engaged with the founders of the businesses, he said to them, well, if you want $10 million, we would prefer that we give you $50 million. We would prefer that you get more ambitious, that you invest more heavily on the view from his perspective that if you're going to crack this, and there will be very few who do, that you are going to more likely become the market leader and dominant the more you spend. So it's like playing roulette and it's like taking a bet on many numbers and hoping that one of those numbers is going to pay you the 35 to 1 return that you would get on a roulette table if it comes up. It's a bit like what happened with Kurs Becker and Tencent. They didn't know. They had no idea, uh, he and, and the late Antony Roux, that Tencent was going to be the giant that it is today. They had a philosophy called uh, throwing mud at the wall. And when they were hoping that some of the mud would stick, as it happens in their case, it stuck spectacularly with Tencent pretty well with mail.ru and Flipkart in India did well as uh, pretty well as well. And uh, Delivery Hero has done fine. But from those early investments when no one really knew, how do you know that a 30 person company is going to become a trillion dollar business? Uh, it just, you just, don't. You you hope that the entrepreneurs that you've met are uh, going to be able to deliver in time. But to get that kind of a spectacular return, uh, is it, it is luck. There's a lot of luck to it. But you can only win if you've got the chips on the table. And Mr. Son has taken that approach. He's won big on Alibaba. He won big on Yahoo. Uh, he's now made some other bets, which are even bigger bets. Uh, and, and presumably he he will get to the point where some he'll have to write off, but others will actually deliver the outsized returns that we see from his, some of his early uh, investments and indeed that NASP has got from Tencent. So that's, that's the game he's playing. Indeed. Um, but of course, that game is reliant on being able to uh, bring these companies into public markets and to get the to, to be able to get the cash out of the business to be able to sell those um, venture capital stakes into the public market uh, once the business has reached a certain scale and so with the this rotation that we're seeing and I saw some interesting stats on the um, the Wall Street Journal talking about how money has been shifting into the traditional value stocks so I'm thinking about like utility companies um, more defensive stocks consumer stocks that kind of thing uh, just a bit of a sentiment change in the market and so looking ahead uh, for not only for the vision fund but for a lot of these high value private companies that want to come into the public markets and make the money um, it's an interesting time for them to be pursuing that strategy because there's just uh, people are looking with a bit more of a jaded eye at these businesses and, and uh, some of the ones that have launched recently have really underperformed expectations and um, some of the results we've seen out of them have been worse than expected. So, you know, we it's interesting to see uh, a bit of a 
disjuncture almost between what private markets are, are thinking and, and how they're valuing businesses and what public money is thinking and how they're valuing businesses, um, which we haven't seen for a long time. You know, there's always periods where that happens. But, you know, for the last 10 years, it's been pretty much uh, the markets have been very eager for these companies to to launch into the space. And now we're seeing people just bringing a bit more of a caution, I would say, a bit more caution to the to the table, um, which, you know, makes for a, a new fresh challenge, I guess, for venture capitalists. No, and the cycle's the same. It's exactly the same cycle we saw during the internet boom. In the run-up to the NASDAQ uh, blow-off, anything that even had the vaguest in, uh, relationship to dot-com would get a huge rating. There were many examples. There was a, even an example of a mine, a gold uh, It wasn't a gold mine. It was another a mine in the United States that converted its name to dot com and suddenly the rating went up uh, significantly. We, we, we had, I had the, uh, the privilege of actually listing a company during that period because we all believed that the world would be very different. But as Bill Gates very famously said, we tend as human beings to overestimate in the short term the impact of a revolutionary technology or a change but we underestimate the impact in the long term. And what he means by that is that take Amazon.com. Amazon has completely transformed and continues to transform the way that we buy products, certainly in the Western world where the distribution uh, system makes it possible to uh, purchase products online and distribute them to households at your home. They, they are continuing to get more and more momentum in that area and the when Amazon's share price dropped by 99% after the blowout of the Nasdaq bubble in in the year 2000 nobody would have thought at that stage that this was possible they underestimated massively the long-term impact but in the run-up to the Nasdaq bubble they overestimated the short-term impact and that's maybe what someone like Mr. Son is playing on he's looking for these bets. You know, they spent $300 million on a dog walking app. Now, you've got to ask yourself, how can that possibly, $300 million, how can that possibly return the income that he's, that, that, the, the investment that he's made? But he's probably said to himself, there are all these numbers on the table, like Chris Becker and, and Dwayne Rue. I've got to throw mud at the wall, and some of them will stick. Who knows? Maybe dog walking will become the next boom industry and we'll, we'll have the dog walking app that dominates the global market generating billions of dollars a year. Maybe, maybe not. He's not making that decision. What he's saying is I want to have the bets and I want to bet big because when I win, I'll win just as big. That's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. There's a summary of this uh, interview up on the BizNews website in the premium section. Don't forget you can sign up to premium, just £5 a month. That's going to give you access to all of our great content and to the uh, full digital access, rather, to the Wall Street Journal.